The sponsor for the month is the Banner of Truth Trust. It is a high honor to preach God's Word, but the life of the pastor can still be pressured and tiring. The Banner of Truth Ministers Conference is designed to provide you with encouragement and rest. You will enjoy great fellowship from like-minded ministers and teaching from trusted preachers. Gather with us May 30th through June 1st in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania, under the theme, Not Ashamed of the Gospel, and enjoy new friendships, find great banner books at exclusive prices, and recalibrate your heart for the ministry. Can't make it in May? Consider the West Coast Conference in October. Thinking about entering the ministry? Well, this is for you, too. Find out more at thebanneroftruth.org. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I hope you're all doing well today. Got an exciting guest, a gentleman that's running for mayor in our community. Before we get to him, Harold Bisser, we will, I want to just remind you of the Banner of Truth giveaway. We have a great giveaway. You can follow the link in the show notes until the end of the month. So you just have a few days left. You can sign up to possibly be the winner of John Calvin's sermons on Job from the Banner. And if, like I said, just follow the links and you can check that out. And I, I, there's uh, quite a few people that have signed up, but not a gargantuan amount. So you really could have those books on your shelf. You want to check that out. Okay, I'm talking to Harold Visser today. Harold, how, how you doing, man? Hey, good morning, Jared. Thanks for having me here. You're welcome. Yeah, it's, it's an honor. Let's go and pray, and then we're going to talk about a whole lot of fun stuff. Let's pray. Father, we just need your help, wisdom, guidance, always. And we come to you, dependent upon you, and we ask for just a, a great time in this conversation. We want you to be honored, of course, and we want to get to know each other a little bit, and also for the city of Carbondale and this region, we know that there's a lot of influence that comes from this this region uh, and, and through, through Carbondale, through the school, and we would love to see your name honored in this community as the banner of, of SIU State, Deo Valente, the will of the Lord. We want your will to be done here on earth as it, in, as it is in heaven. And so we just ask for a, a blessing upon this time. God, we pray for favor for Harold as he's running his campaign. And uh, we ask that he would be the mayor of the city of Carbondale. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, man. Let's get to know you a little bit. I know you just from the small conversations that we've had. So I know you're from Chicago. Yeah. But tell us how you got down here. Tell us about your family. And then what you do? Well, if you were talking to my dad, I'm not from Chicago. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> He's, he, he and I, we were, we, I was born in Oak Park, Illinois, which is right on the edge of Chicago. Is that west side, I guess? Yeah, the west, west side of Chicago, because okay. there is no east side, you'd be in yep, the lake. In the lake, that's right. <laughs> but if you, um, you move farther west, we spent some time in Elmhurst. I grew up half my childhood in Villa Park. Okay. Uh, really close to Lombard, which is where VeggieTales was from. Oh, And okay. then we moved farther west to Winfield, which I thought was like the country because people had like an acre of land each. Oh, yeah. Okay. I never, yeah. <laughs> you really saw cropland. Uh, grew up, and when I was a senior in high school, I decided I wanted to be a pilot. Ah, okay. So um, I went around looking for schools, and SIU popped up. I yeah. got a, uh, I was accepted at SIU, and I came down here for flight school. Okay. Uh, I found out it was too expensive for me. I didn't want to ah. take out a bunch of loans. I actually heard this. <laughs> cheaper to buy your own plane i was talking to an aviation student and uh-huh. he purchased a plane for one hundred and ten thousand dollars. yep and he said that was actually cheaper than renting during flight school yeah and all the costs and fees that go into when, that. when i was in flight school in 2002 it was 128 dollars an hour plus your instructor okay 
So yeah. now I forget what it is. It's probably closer to 200 but Yeah, wild. Yeah, just too expensive. And it's kind of funny. I joined a local church here, and I met the man who became my father-in-law. He flew for Delta. And okay. I realized he so was who gone. So was that? Was that at Cornerstone? Yeah, you? at Cornerstone. So you've been church. there since school? Yes. Okay, well, I do want to find out here in a little bit after yep. at how you ended up getting there. But, yep. Okay, go ahead. But anyway, he... Um, I decided I didn't want to be gone 14 days mm. a month flying somewhere else. Okay. So I switched into business, and that led into a career in construction and rental properties. Ah, so how, how many rental properties then do you have? Well, I have a business partner we have uh, 24 units with, and okay. we're building another, um, doing another project that I had another 11. Okay. And then I have a duplex on my own. Now, do you Airbnb at all? Uh, we no. don't do that. No? Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So, I mean, it's worked out, obviously. Yep. Okay. Well, good. And that's your career? Yes. Awesome. Yeah, expanding. You want to get more properties and yeah. Well, to to a point, I just want to have a comfortable living mm -hmm. where I'm not working to death. I've done that for ten years. Okay. Uh, actually, rentals have helped me not to have to work construction full time. Okay. And it's freed up a lot of my time. So, kids, are you going to get your kids involved then? Are they going to? Yeah. Get, so <laughs> here's a house. Manage it. Do what you want with it. Yeah. I mean, if if that's what they want to do, you know, I want to I want to equip them with a whole bunch of different skills and yeah. then. You know, whatever they want to choose, I'll support them in that. And yeah, well, real estate in Carbondale. So is it in Carbondale or is it just in yeah. the region? Okay, Twenty-four really? units in Carbondale. In Carbondale, wow. Okay, so are you renting to college students? Are you renting to people that are here permanently? When, or when I started as a property manager, I was managing for another guy, and then we purchased his place. That was seven. I think it was about seven years ago. Okay. The um, it was almost all students. Obviously, the student population has dropped. Right. Now we're mostly working professionals. Is what okay. we have. And a few grad students, okay, which is a good mix. I so think. you're building then. You're building new units, but are you doing like new construction? Are you doing makeover, <laughs> like house makeovers or, or remodels, or what are you doing? So what we actually what we did is we bought an old church building up in Ducoin, Illinois. Really? It's an old Presbyterian church, big stone. The big building that's on the square there, right? Yeah, the on red D one. The red one. Yeah. No if, way. You look, if you go straight, it's on the park square. Uh, we're making that's that, a beautiful building. Yeah, I'll have to show you some pictures. It's that's incredible, and it's huge. Yeah, it's twelve thousand square feet. No way. So we picked that up, and we're um, I'm building out eleven units inside it right now. And I mean, it's basically this is uh, sweat equity one hundred and one. If you oh want. Oh my gosh. So it's it's me and like two or three other guys, and we're just you know frame framing plumbing, you name it, and we're wow. doing it. Is that a PCUSA church? Is that what that was? I actually don't know. I huh. think. I think it was. Okay. Well, that would explain why nobody was there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were an older older congregation, and they, yeah. they pretty much dwindled out. I think they still meet and worship somewhere, but I think there's okay. only like five of them left. Uh, they couldn't afford a pastor anymore, the maintenance on the building. Right. Um, somebody else bought it before us, and we bought it off them. Okay. But So, did you grow up in the Presbyterian Church? Did you grow up in a Christian family? I grew up in the Christian Reformed Church. Okay. I was baptized. Is that, Christian Reformed Church, that, that's not... Uh, the because Kevin DeYoung was in the Reformed Church of America, the, that that's a different denomination then. Yeah, I think they all branched off the same thing. There was okay. the Dutch Reformed Church. When okay. I was growing up, it was almost all Dutch people. Okay. And the Christian Reformed Church. Okay. Um, and that's obviously changed over the years, but you know, it's it's basically like John Calvin is your superstar. Okay. <laughs> Heidelberg Catechism is what you yeah. memorize. So run of the mill classic Reformed yep. Church. Okay. You moved down here then and. Did you? I guess you pretty quickly got connected with, because Burke Shade was the pastor then. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's and, funny. I went to a student orientation meeting, and there was a guy with a book table, and he's like, "Hey, do you want to help find a church?" 
I said, I'm from the Christian Reformed Church. He's like, oh, there's a Reformed Church in town. Mm-hmm. So he gave me the info. Um, I actually, you know, you're a college student. You're like, I need to go see if there's other stuff out here. You know, right. I've been in the same church. So I went to the, um, the, what was it called at the time? I think it was the Vineyard mm-hmm. at the time back in 2002. Yeah. I went there for a little while and, you know, it was like rock music and praise and worship stuff. And it wasn't what yeah. I was used to. And then right. after about six months, I went over to Cornerstone and they're singing traditional hymns and yeah chanting I, and yeah like well they weren't doing <laughs> chanting at that Not time yet. but okay. yeah <laughs> um I I was there from when the congregation was really just singing I don't know how you put this um out of key and they um so burnt, before Jordan Doolittle yeah arrived, long before right, well yeah, Jordan okay, like, Jordan was there at I the guess time, he was probably he was, young yeah, he was just, a high school student yeah, right. he hadn't gone to school yet um but we were um I don't know how, how in-depth you want the history of Cornerstone, but Bert's like, we need better music. Um, I want the congregation to sing louder because the congregation, you know, this is, you're worshiping, you're not, yeah. it's not a show. Um, and guys like Fred Fallsgraf, um, he was teaching the, same, teaching the congregation how to read notes, basically, mm-hmm. sing, sing your part, break it up, and I mean, it just grew and grew right out of there. that. And yeah. now, I don't know, I think... You guys are a singing church for sure. We're a singing church, but we're also a very musical church. Mm-hmm. The um, I would I would think about seventy percent of the children in the church can play the piano in some capacity, That's awesome. and are learning drums. Mm-hmm. Um, two of my daughters are taking ukulele lessons on Tuesdays. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's that's, fun. That's awesome because all I can do is I can play the radio. That's okay. about it. <laughs> so then let's talk about kids. You have how many kids? In do you have? I have six kids. Six children. Okay, so oh. you're having a blast, and you know, oh yeah. You you guys done? You have more? Uh, we're done. You're done. I, okay. I know uh, some people have three kids and some have twelve, and I think it's you have to decide how many can I manage. Yeah. Uh, and just for me and my wife, we feel like this is a good number. Good. You know, we don't want to. We want to take care of our older kids. I mean, my oldest is thirteen, so it's yeah. it's weird for me to feel like, oh no, I got a teenager now. But yeah, it's wild. <laughs> he's a, he's a good kid, and you know, normal normal rebellious. Mm-hmm. Tell him to do something. No, dad. It's like, no, you're gonna do this. <laughs> And then it goes, I got two daughters, um, and then four sons after that. Okay, so. well, I was now that I know that, I was going to ask you, how do you make your children be, be fully compliant to everything you ask them to do? or tell them <laughs> to do You haven't figured that out yet, I guess. Well, I mean, <laughs> I fully expect, I, you know, you're, you want your children to be strong-willed. Uh, yeah, definitely. Because that means that when they come up on bad situations, they yeah. can say no. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, when they're younger, you know, discipline's a little stronger, you know, you can you can make them do stuff. When they're thirteen, you got to let them fail, and mm-hmm. I want them to fail in my house. That's good. Where I can help them through their failures. Yeah. And help you know guide them and direct them. Like, you know, son, mm-hmm. that was a dumb thing. <laughs> Here's how you do it right. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, we we have three. We're hoping for yep. more. And having a blast. You yeah. Know, we we love having children. So later today, I'm going to go. And I was talking to my daughter last night. She's two, and uh-huh. and I was telling her about how. I was going to hit her mom with a snowball in the morning. <laughs> and she was going to bed last night. My wife told me, she said that, that Providence was saying that that butt, snow. She wanted me to hit her in the butt with a snowball. <laughs> and she was asking to, for me to hit her with a snowball. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be fun, you know, playing in the snow and oh, having, yeah. having a good time with your children. And it's just, it's a blessing. Okay, so I have you on because you're running for mayor here uh-huh. in town. And my listeners have heard me talk about this. Uh, over the last couple of years, there's been a, a growth for me personally with understanding the scriptures and the authority of God's word in all of life uh-huh. and sphere sovereignty, Abraham Kuyper, and understanding 
different areas of government that God has established and the, the delegated and regulated authority that God has on, on each role. Yep. I had a really difficult time for years understanding. I, I really did hook, line, and sinker buy into, whether I realized it or not, an Amish approach to the civic life yeah. and, and the life as a citizen in a state or a nation. And I read a book by an open theist. His name is Gregory Boyd. Gregory Boyd has a pretty big following in kind of the the liberal Christian movement. And uh, it was in 2000, it was early 2000s, and the book that I read was The Myth of a Christian Nation, How the Quest for Political Power is Destroying the Church in America. That was the the subtitle. That's interesting, yeah. And I read it, and I I bought into it. I thought, yeah, that is exactly right. You know, that's this is, I, I am apolitical, I'm out, I'm done. Uh-huh. And it took me several years to, to realize, as I was preaching, you take the scriptures, you take God's word into everywhere you go, there was this wall of separation or division. It was like, you, you go into the school systems, you go into your friends, you go into recreation, you know, realizing you're on mission. Uh-huh. But then for some reason, I had walled off then. <laughs> yeah, but, but not the political. Not life. this you just, lord. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not lord of that. And... Long story short, you grow, you learn, you realize that everyone is bringing morality to bear in the public life, uh-huh. whether you're a Christian or not. You are theocratic in the sense that you are demanding, as you put on the law books, th- that people and citizens in that city have to do this or don't do this. You're making moral judgments and bringing uh-huh. your moral morality to bear in all of life on everyone else. And uh, you know, I just realized I was just wrong. God's word's authoritative everywhere. So, yes. How have you come to this point? I would have said, Harold, five years ago, I would have said, what are you wasting your time for, man, running, sure. running for, for mayor? So why are you doing what you're doing? I would say I am I am apt to look at situations and pronounce my judgments verbally, so I'll complain, right? I'll see things I don't like, and I'll complain. And my own guilt says, Harold, if you're going to complain, you need to go do something. Hmm. And that... Um, I mean, our former pastor, Berkshade, if you complained about something in the church, hey, I think the parking lot needs to be clean. He'd be handing you a broom and a shovel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's, it's and my, my view of the government and why I would want to be mayor, for instance, is that, um, one, God said, go forth and take dominion. Mm-hmm. So go out into the world. That does not mean subjugating people to... Um, God's strict edicts. That's that's for the church to do. That's a that's a moral thing. But it is using the the principles found in the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Protection of property, um, protecting the weak and the innocent. You know, stopping people from killing. Um, those kind of things need to be implemented by the government. And God does not give the sword in vain. He gives yeah. power to uh, your authorities to be able to act those things out. Mm-hmm. So when I look at Carbondale, obviously, um, it's a municipality. It's it's limited in certain things, and I think you have to look at it. Is it has Carbondale overstepped some of its bounds? Do we need to pull some of those things back? Maybe like you know, taxes are too high and regulations may be too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, backing off on those things, and are we protecting the weak in our communities? Yeah, you know, am I am I like gun violence, for instance? I had a um, a individual or two individuals Halloween night about eight o'clock I'm sitting in my house and I hear gunfire okay and we went I go outside and I see this car just peel off um, 
and I go look at the security film, and you could just see in the corner, it was a little bit down the street from us, somebody was just shooting out their car window. Mm -hmm. What if my kid was out in the front yard, yeah. you know, getting one of the dogs? He could have been shot. Mm -hmm. You need to protect the innocent. You need to have a police force that has enough of a presence where people feel like, I can't do this, I'm going to mm -hmm. get caught. Yeah. And I don't, I feel like Carmadale isn't giving the resources to the police right now, even okay. if Stan Reno is doing a good job with what he has. Well, and some of those issues, you know, peeling back the layers of yeah. the result, like the outcome of, okay, you have, you have violence with guns. Why mm -hmm. does that happen? Um, it's easy, you know, the, the bottom shelf analysis is, well, just take the guns away. Kind of thing. You know, <laughs> yeah. like that, that's the issue. And we see that at a state level yeah. and, you know, you've seen all these sheriffs step away and, and yet the, the layers there go back, I mean, generation after generation after generation. Sure. You could talk about fatherlessness. You could talk about um, lack of, well, there's, there's several, uh, fatherlessness is a huge one. And, yep. uh, you know, across the board, black, white, uh -huh. um, crime in the streets, a lot of it can just be tied back to that one central issue of fatherlessness. Yep. And uh, so, you know, in the world of temporary fixes, people just say, well, we just got to get all the guns away. So <laughs> yeah. how, what is a, because I mean, as a mayor, even you have a short term, you know, a window of time and you have this. You have four years. And you have, you have four years, years and then somebody else steps in. Uh -huh. So how do you go about, you know, some of the issues you have, even taxes, you know, my property taxes, for instance, have yeah. gone up and I know that's a county thing as well and a state thing, mm -hmm. but my, uh, my tax multiplier has gone up from 9 point something 2% up to 11 point something percent. Uh -huh. I'm paying almost $6,000 for property taxes. Yeah. And I, it's, I, I mean, it's out of control. When, when I look at mine, um, thank God for the internet because they're putting all this stuff on the internet. If There's a little tab you can look at previous years and it'll show them all. On the property that I own, it went from 300 and about whatever, 2004 to 3,600 now. Now, how does that, I mean, <laughs> how, how do you curb that? Because honestly, like, okay, so the issues that we face as a city, uh -huh. and I do live right outside of the city, yeah. uh, outside of city limits. Actually, I live one, one road north of where Bill lives. Okay. With the multiple issues that do face the city, uh -huh. how, how do you go about in a short period of time helping? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, um, there's a book I read, you may have read it, it's called When Helping Hurts. Um, if you I've haven't, heard of it, not read it. If you haven't read it, I think you should read it. It's not like... Who's it by? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I'm very bad with remembering names of authors, but um, it was a good book. It's not gospel in one sense. It's written from a Christian perspective, but it talks about looking at people and, you know, someone... I It was very useful. I've been a deacon for eight years, and okay. somebody shows up. Uh, we have no food, we have no gas, and we're living in our car. Mm -hmm. You know, our, you have to evaluate. Is this an emergency? Mm -hmm. Did did they just get robbed? Did their house burn down and now they're living in their car, or did they bring about the circumstances upon themselves? Right. You know, has he not been working, and he got his girlfriend pregnant and they got kicked out of the rental because they weren't paying rent? Mm -hmm. And looking at different things, and sometimes you have to let people suffer the consequences of their life. I mean, you might help them. You might, you know, we won't give people money, but you know, maybe we'll give you food. Mm -hmm. Or if uh, somebody shows up and they got kids, we might feed the kids, and the parents have to go find something. Yeah. Or something like that. But um, I'd say Carbondale is basically in an emergency right now. There's just a lot of gunfire. Um, for a mul There's some multiple multiple reasons for that. Mm -hmm. um, but you need, to, you need to increase police presence. And I think you have to get those funds. You have to decrease, I would call them like fluff projects. Okay. Like maybe it's not time to renovate the downtown. Right. Maybe it's not, you know, taking on new loans. 
for instance, maybe um, you look at some of these programs. I know a lot of them are funded by grants. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't cost the city anything, but there's administrative cost. And mm -hmm. uh, maybe you look at that and shift some resources over to the police. And then long term, you look at what what is the city doing that maybe doesn't have any effect. So do um, you should actually study and say, this was the intent of whatever we passed. Mm hmm you know, we, we have this board and it's supposed to do this and look at it and say, is it doing that? Uh -huh. And if it's not doing that, you just let it eclipse Yeah. or let it go. Like I believe if committees are good things because sometimes, you know, you don't have time to investigate something mm -hmm. and a group of people want to investigate it, have a committee do that, but give them a timeline. Yeah. We want this in six months. Like I think Carbondale has nine, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think they have like nine different committees okay. that are just always there. And even if you don't pay those people, that's time and resource mm -hmm. from them interacting with the city. And are they doing stuff? That, that, that's the kind of stuff that I think the budget was $70 million last year. Okay. $20 million of that's for the transportation center. That was from the federal government. Mm -hmm. But you got $50 million. There's got to be somewhere in there. You can look at, yeah. let me, let's try to reduce some of these costs. Mm -hmm. And then we can reduce the taxes on the tail end. It's irresponsible yeah. to be like, let's cut taxes right. without... <laughs> Mm -hmm. You know, you have obligations, um, and that's, you know, that's a contributing factor, I think, in Carbondale's demise is, you know, we have, we have like, hospitality tax, the hotel restaurant tax, mm -hmm. and the sales tax are super high. Right. And I talk to people who live outside the city. They won't go eat at restaurants here anymore, mm -hmm. or they don't want to buy gas here anymore, or... Oh, well, I never, ever buy gas yeah. in Carbondale. <laughs> I do, I do occasionally, um, but even... You know, I do a lot of work with the guys at Lowe's and the guys at the Pro Desk. And what happens a lot to them is they will work out some really big bid for a guy who wants to build a house or something like that. Mm -hmm. They'll get that bid, and then they'll go, oh, and they'll go buy it in Cape Girardeau, mm -hmm. where the sales tax is 6%. They just saved themselves 4 or 5%. Yeah. And this guy did all this work, and then he loses, and then the city loses tax revenue on that. Yep. Because it's so high, you know. People are intelligent. They're yeah. <laughs> and they want to be wise with their money. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there are, there are a lot of issues, but I think if we look at those issues and say, well, it's inevitable that the, the, the demise of the city is uh -huh. going to continue to go and don't do anything about it, yeah. um, then obviously things get worse and worse and worse and worse. And if, if, if things continue to go at the trajectory, yes. continues to go in the same way, then we, you get the same results. I yeah. mean, that's the, you know, the, the, everyone knows the definition of insanity is yeah. <laughs> continuing to do the same thing. And I, I would look at like East St. Louis, for example. It used to be like thriving metropolis, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, they had like 15 story buildings. Mm -hmm. They're super wealthy, but um, when you have a city government that just like, oh, here's a bunch of wealth and let's tax that, the producers will leave. Absolutely. They're just going to go outside city limits. What we need to be doing. Um, is we need to reduce regulations because when you have a very, very strict code enforcement, not that we don't want things safe, you know, mm -hmm. I want to go into Kroger without tripping and dying. Right. <laughs> I want to make sure my food's safe to eat, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But um, I have surveyed a lot of business owners in the last couple months. Uh -huh. And the same, the same thing keeps coming up. It's, and it's basically, no one has said this exactly, but this is the best way I can put it. It's like a schizophrenic relationship where, um, Everything's fine, everything's fine, and then all of a sudden everything's not fine. Mm -hmm. And the city's coming in, we're going to hit you with this, this, this. And if you push back, they hit you harder. Right. And all these business owners, they get tired of it after a while and they leave. Yeah. And they'll go set up shop in Marion or they'll... And what we need to do is we need to reduce that. We need to advertise. We're going to make it easier to do business here. Mm -hmm. 
and then businesses will come back, yeah. which will lead to more revenue, mm -hmm. which maybe we can get rid of. I don't know if you remember Carbondale. It was like 2004, 2005. That's how long I've been following Carbondale politics. They got rid of the city um, property tax okay. portion because they said, oh, we're just going to tax um, sales. Mm -hmm. So they got their sales tax. They said they'll get rid of this. Well, guess what came back? Yeah. The, <laughs> the city property tax. Yeah. Now we have both. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, it's like a, it's like a vicious cycle. It can it be is. stopped and it can be turned around, but you just have to come in and you have to evaluate and say, is what we're doing working? It's a yes or a no, mm -hmm. or it could be a maybe. It yeah. may be ambiguous. Well, the, the frustrating thing about, <laughs> you, you see things not working uh -huh. and it's clearly not working. It's complex. And, and, <laughs> and there are some things that are complex, but there are some things that are just really simple answers. And we yeah. make things more complex than they are yes. by giving complex answers yeah. sometimes. And sometimes the answer is taxes are too high. There's yeah. too much red tape. And people are, like you said, very smart. And they know I'm going to be able to save yeah. money if I do this somewhere else. Yeah. And or, or like we see in the state of Illinois right now, I can build a better life for my family if I'm in a different state. Yes. And people are, I, there's people in our congregation right now, just faithful members that are later this year moving down to Tennessee uh -huh. because they're done. And I don't understand, you see in the city of Chicago, it is, this, the city of Chicago is an absolute wreck. Yeah. Whoever would want to vis visit Chicago? Who would ever want to live in Chicago? Yeah. Nobody, nobody wants to. Like, and why would you? Sure. It seems like little communities like, like Carbondale, and you look at all these other towns. You look at Marion, what Marion's uh -huh. doing. You look at these other little communities around, and they're doing well. Yes. They're they're growing. There's excitement. There's buzz. There's there is freedom given to their people to uh -huh. make decisions. They they, it seems like the politicians really do view themselves as servants rather yep. than lords. And I, I could give you an example of that um, in Murfreesboro. Uh, it's the guy who owns uh, Wiffle Wiffle Boys Pizza. Tim, I can't remember his last name. The, the guy with the big truck, or is that? Uh, yeah, he does have a big. Yeah. No, I'm thinking Primos. I'm thinking Primos. Oh, that's different. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah that's, he's got the big truck. Yeah, um, that's Chris Newby. Um, but he was telling me they had a location in Carbondale, and they he felt like everything he wanted to do was just like. You got to get an engineer. You got to get an architect. It's all these, you know, they're hidden costs, extra costs. Mm -hmm. So he said, for example, in Murfreesboro, um, they bought an old Dairy Queen. They built this big extension on the front of it. Mm -hmm. It's nice. It's clean. It's neat. Um, they didn't have enough parking on the west side of the building, and they needed more spaces. The city owned whatever eight to ten feet, you know, grass and a sidewalk. Okay. Uh, he calls the city up and he said, "Hey, I need more parking spots on the side of this." And they said, "Okay, we'll come take a look at it." And they call them back and they say, well, we can, what we can do is we'll move the sidewalk up near the road and we'll, you know, put concrete in. Mm -hmm. and like, just pay us for the materials. Yeah. They're going to do the work. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying the government has to pay for, right. you know, it'd be okay for him to pay. But they're like bending over backwards mm -hmm. for this business where I talked to another um, guy. It was actually a contractor working on Plaza Tire and they had an existing parking lot at Pier 1 Imports, and they made them raise the parking lot by eight inches to meet some code. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, that parking lot's been there for yeah, for <laughs> however many years. Yeah. Is it really an issue? And it's just like, that's a huge cost. Yeah, the seriously. Con the contractor's frustrated. The owner's frustrated. And it's just like, so, it's like how are you going to attract businesses if that's, and they talk, and mm -hmm. that's your reputation, right? right. Well, you're, so you're a different candidate. Uh -huh. Than the current candidates that are on the on the ticket sure. to run. Okay, so yeah, uh, we've got other candidates that are running for mayor. 
Carolyn and, Harvey. Yeah. And, and, and most likely, the candidates, the other candidates beside yourself, are going to con- continue in similar direction uh-huh. than uh, that the city has been going yeah. in the past, and, and continuing that on the same direction. Yep. So population of the city is down. Yep. The population of the students is down. Uh-huh. Crime is up, and really freedom for business owners and citizens uh, during um, during COVID stuff and all uh-huh. that kind of stuff was down. Yeah. So why on earth would we want to continue to go in the same direction? And I think it's advantageous for us as a city, for anybody that would listen in or anybody that considers running the yeah. city, what, if you continue to do what you're, what you've been doing, you're going to get the exact same results. And sure. so sure. like, what, what's your big pitch then? Like, I mean, obviously we don't want to get into, you know, uh, bashing other candidates or anything like that, but no, um, I mean, these are, they're they're, they're not they're, they're Carbondale not, citizens. We want yeah, the best not, for them as well. They're not bad people. Like, right. And you know, I've um, just just chatting with Carolyn Harvey. We have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. We're both we're both uh, one of six children. We're both the third child. Okay. We both moved to Carbondale. We both met our our spouse here and got married, and we stayed. I mean, there's like there's a lot of similar. I mean, she's a bit older than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's fine. I'm not here to. I don't want to burn Carbondale down. I think right. we have a very strong community, and I think I think we're divided on things, but we're really, um, in most areas of life, I'm not I'm not going to put myself in this little tiny circle and nobody's allowed in it. Right. I want to make my circles bigger. Mm-hmm. So I may have I may have very set beliefs. You know, I'm a committed Christian man. Yeah. Whatever. I'm not going to cheat on my wife. I don't want to lie in my business practices. If I do, I need to ask for forgiveness. Right. You know, yada, yada. Those are important, but I need not say, oh, this wicked person over here, I'll never deal with them. Yeah. It's, um, it's going out and talking to those people and getting to know them and they get to know me. Yeah. We can work together towards goals, even if we might disagree on... On how to get uh, there. Yeah, on how yeah. to get there. Yeah. So. So, the, so, okay, let's go to a question that a lot of people would have. I'm sure. thinking SIU professor. I'm thinking about those that are are on the left yeah. in our community. And there's hostility, we get that, with, yep. with politics right now, and there has been for a very long time, but sure. even more, more more so today. Um, the left and right hate each other, it seems like. There's just this bit bitter, uh, there's this, this bitterness yes. there. And it's, it's more than just your policies are different than my policies. Uh-huh. And I think some of the fears that those on the left have towards those that are Christians yep. are... Uh, that you're going to take your Christianity and you're going to make life worse for people in the city. Yeah, they feel or, like it's going to be chains that, put that, on them or something. Right. <laughs> well, in in the history of our in the history of the United States and really around the world, uh-huh. uh, it's inevitable that religion comes out. I mean, it is sure. uh, regardless and across the board in every society and even in in societies that claim to be secularist, uh-huh. secularism comes with a morality that that is imposed upon. The citizens, sure, and it comes from a foundation. It comes from somewhere. Yep. Anytime, anytime somebody says this is right or wrong, I mean, a law in and of itself is saying this is right, this is wrong, this sure. is just, and this is unjust, and so uh, that in, then gets enforced at a city, county, state level. But when you look at the history of our nation, we have leaned into as a society the Bible. Uh-huh. We, get, we and, and biblical principles have actually. Provided the very foundation for things like free speech. Yeah. Uh, the, the Bible has created the most amount of freedom to the most amount of people. And I think some of the pushback is that we would say that that the Bible has moral claims over everyone in our town and everyone in the world. Uh-huh. 
But the fear then, I, I don't necessarily know what the exact fear is, but it, it seems like the other direction, if you're a secularist then, that somehow or another there's going to be, that there isn't, there's just going to be moral freedom for anybody and everybody and you can do whatever sure. you want, whenever you want kind of thing. But yet, I, I would like people to see like, okay, even with a secularist mindset, apart from Christianity, you're still talking about law, morality. You're uh -huh. still talking about the imposition of morality on people. So I, I really just want to have a quick conversation about why people shouldn't be afraid or nervous that you're a Christian. Yeah, well, I mean, it, obviously you want somebody who is set in their ways in one respect as your leader because you don't want somebody who's going to flip-flop all the time. Okay. That brings chaos. Man of conviction. That brings disorder. Um, and I firmly believe, I mean, the Bible says, you know, what's the purpose of government, right? It's, it's, to, it's to punish the wicked and praise the righteous. And reward the good. And reward the good, yeah. Depending on what version you read. Right. <laughs> I've read it in uh, King James, and we used to read the NIV, and now we're on ESV. I used to read ASV, and the Luther Bible. I speak fluent German, too. Oh, awesome. If you didn't know that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, what is punishing the wicked and rewarding the righteous? So, what's wickedness? I mean, that's like stealing, mm -hmm. murdering, whatever, um, you know, if you have assaults. Things like that. You want to punish those people because those right. are those are people who are breaking um, natural um, norms. Right. They're, so you, they're, you, they're you, going you, on my freedom and they're going on my possessions. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Right. And praising the righteous, you know, that one's like, well, what does that mean? That's like right. maybe get freedom. Yeah. That's you know, maybe like giving a, is... that's like giving civic awards mm -hmm. for somebody who yeah. runs a food pantry and is taking right. care of the widows and orphans, orphans in their distress. Right. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, so I think uh, across the across the board, when we think about okay, why is murder wrong? Yeah, and everybody's going to give a different answer, but sure. but there's going to be agreement that okay, murder is wrong, and for us, the murder isn't wrong just because it's harmful on society. Uh -huh. Well, why would it? What if somebody thinks it's good for society? You know, you have the World Economic Forum talking about you know population, you know, the need for population decrease. Yeah. You know, to, to, to decrease. And so somebody could out there say, well, you know, murder is a good thing because it's it's a, it's actually decreasing it's population. It's, 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 yeah. It, yeah, it's like a natural evolutionary control of, of, of population on the earth. Yeah. And it's a normal, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a regulatory, you know, uh, thing that, that helps us actually yeah. do better in the long run. But the Christian comes along and says, well, God tells us not to murder. Yep. That's, that's why. It's because this is harm on somebody else. Life is valuable. Yes. And, and that has implications on things like the, the, the murder of the unborn. It has, has implications sure. on even the longevity of life, of why are we against, you know, physician-assisted suicide that's being implemented in Canada right now. Sure. Because life matters. And they're talking about and, that here, too, and, in and, Illinois. But it, I think it's, I think it's a, really, it's a devaluing of life. Mm -hmm. Life is precious. It's it really is. easy to destroy and really hard to bring back. Think about anybody who's in a major car wreck. Mm -hmm. They might be in the hospital for six months. Yeah. That took that took three seconds for somebody to swerve off and hit them. Yeah. Um, or if you, I mean, if you kill someone, that's it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and we need to not think of life as being cheap. Life is precious, mm -hmm. and that's why we seek to preserve, and especially those who are the most vulnerable among us. Yeah. You know, babies in the womb or the elderly. We yeah. take care of those people, even if it's, and maybe even especially because it's a burden. Yeah. I mean, that means that means it's the same thing for. Um, you know, a woman who, you know, some guy got her pregnant, and he's out of the picture, and she doesn't know what to do. You don't just say, um, 
I mean, like the Bible says, your brother comes to and he's cold. You don't just say, God be with you and mm -hmm. go away. You might help him. You get him a code or get, yeah. <laughs> hey, where can we get you a place for the night? Um, I'm actually working with um, some folks right now. There's a guy that might donate one of his apartments. It's 35 units, and we're looking at, this could be a center for women who don't have any other options that they can see. Awesome. To not only just um, house and clothe them temporarily, but uh, it's also a, a business incubator, yeah. microeconomic development center. Let's teach these women what their options are and how to take mm -hmm. care of themselves so that they yeah. can take care of their child. There is a I mean, wild <laughs> misnomer that Christians are those that are, are pro-life. Yeah. We just care about babies in the womb kind of thing. <laughs> And nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah. Christians are the ones that are donating. Christians are the ones that are adopting. Yeah. When you think about you know, our church as an example, I'm sure that you guys have stories like this as well. We had a young lady that, that, that chose life. We had yes. offered, my wife and I had offered to adopt her baby. Mm -hmm. She decided to keep her baby. Well, our church ended up supporting her financially yeah. significantly. And that, so there's story after story from church after church sure. of those that are caring for people in the community. And, and, and that, that has been a staple of Christianity from people who build, we've built hospitals, we've, built, yeah. we, we've ran to those that are sick, not away from those that yeah. are sick. We've given money, resources, time, our very lives for the, for the good of people. Yeah. I mean, sure. you name it. And down through the history of the world and even recent history up to today. And so, you know, I think, you know, for the city of Carbondale, Trying something different than uh -huh. what's been done in the past, there, there. The answer is not more social programs. It's just that's can, the problem. I can give you an example of low cost um, education for young men and or young women, and it's called apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. And I've done this over the years in my construction business. You know, whether hiring young men from the church or, <coughs> excuse me, others. Um, you just bring these guys, and it's not like preaching all day long it's like this is how you work and he's seen somebody mm -hmm. continually work and take a bunch of materials and make something beautiful out of it and oh wow we get paid when we're done yeah you know teaching and not all these guys do construction on the end mm -hmm. but they they learned not just that skill but they learned how do you um build value in something and they might go on they might be an accountant or they might be whatever else and a lot of these guys are doing well i've had a couple young men in our church um, we had a man he basically uh, went crazy and, okay. you know, had five, five kids at home. I mean, we're talking like basically young teenage boys. Oh, wow. I mean, just that, you know, that's rough Yeah. when your dad, you know, just loses it and goes crazy. Over the summer, those guys got to work with me and they've worked with other men in the church mm -hmm. and they had a rough bout. Now they're like, they're thriving. That's awesome. Because they're seeing, they're seeing good male leadership mm -hmm. and they can follow that. And I think they'll do well in the future. I had similar, my dad was always around. Uh, I love my father. He was addicted to marijuana and, you know, he drunk, drank a lot when we were younger. Mm -hmm. Always around, always took us to church every Sunday. Um, but, you know, we, God put a lot of godly men mm -hmm. uh, surrounding me. When my dad wasn't giving me good advice, these men were. Yeah. Awesome. You know, don't do this. You know, I had, even, I went to a public school up in uh, West Chicago Community High School, District 94. We had a Christian um, cross-country coach. Okay. That was great. You yeah, <laughs> absolutely. He's like, hey, that's that's stupid. You shouldn't be doing this or encouraging <laughs> you to go to church or, you know, that God puts these people around you and he takes care of you. Um, I, got, my, my, I should say that my dad, oh man, it's probably been 24 years. He's uh, sober off 
awesome. eating, off drinking. He even quit smoking, which really surprised me. But that's cool. <laughs> but he's God. a faithful Christian man. He, he has a blog. He does every awesome. every morning. You know, scripture and he ministers to these people. So that's so cool. You know, God is faithful. <laughs> he is, man. This is a lot of fun. It's kind of been scattershot conversation. Yeah. we've got uh, a lot of good stuff in, but. For more information about your campaign and things that you're doing for those that are listening in their local, yeah. where can we find more info? Uh, go to haroldjvisser.com. You can okay. go to www if you want to. Um, that's our camp what, campaign website. Okay. Uh, you know, we got some interviews on there, a little video. and awesome. basic The three basic premises, I didn't say this at the beginning, but um, you know, it's safety, community, and growth. Okay. We need to we need to fix our safety problems so people can go about their daily work in Carbondale. Yeah. I heard um, about a shootout at Walgreens like two months ago. Just in the middle of the day, it's, there's a gunfire, you know, battle in the streets. I guess it was a gang fight or something. Yeah, like I mean, that. and it used to be it used to be like nighttime Carbondale shooting, daytime, mm. and it's spilling into the day right now. Right in front um, of Walgreens, like you're going to get your no, prescription I filled. And I mean, a shootout. I mean, six months ago they were shooting two cars were shooting at each other on Oakland Street. That's crazy. And it's like that's. It's it's just almost unheard of. Yeah, I mean, imagine bringing your daughter or your you know son or somebody to come yeah. down here and you're looking at different schools throughout yeah. the state and where are we going to send our kids to college and you come to Carbondale you're like ah, no I think we'll go to Edwardsville yes. <laughs> yeah because you want you want where you where you learn and where you live and where you work you want to be safe you don't yeah. want to you don't want to worry about stray bullets flying into your house exactly even if they're not shooting you and then uh, I mean so so safety is like. For me, it's number one, um, bringing the community together. Like I said, making bigger circles and working with people. Um, you know, I might disagree with people on the city council, and that's fine. But it's it's keeping a demeanor where we just keep communication open. Mm-hmm. We have to. <laughs> it's the easiest way to become enemies is to stop talking. Yeah. Because I don't know what's in your head, and you don't. And even if we disagree, it's all right to continue conversations. Yeah. And I have to be careful on my side. Harold, don't become offended. Don't don't lock down. Don't shut down. They might on their side, but I don't want to be on my side. Right. And then the growth aspect is when you have those two things, you have a community that can grow. You know, SIU has shrunk. Well, let's decrease um, a lot of our restrictions on business mm-hmm. in this area. We'll bring back some of these smaller businesses. And really what we need to do is we need to attract a mid-sized manufacturer like Ison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, Carbondale is a great place. We have, we have 20,000 people. We have a lot of people that can work. Let's draw from that pool. All right. It's it's looking at our resources. What do we have that can make us great? Yeah, and building that. So yeah, man, there's there's my elevator pitch for you. That's awesome. <laughs> well, thanks so much, guys. I've been talking to Harold Visser. Thanks so much for listening in. Please like, subscribe, share. If you would, if you haven't yet, please leave a rating or review on iTunes and make sure and check out that giveaway and link to the Banner of Truth in the show notes. Uh, Thank Harold, you so much. Yeah, appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, it's <was> awesome. <laughs>